So they're babies. Come on. Come on, Coco. Come on. Watch out, Lark. Today we're milking 55. Oh, in fact, I think one, I was supposed to check on her. One had her calf, I think, just before you got here. Maybe Scott finished up with her. So that makes 55 milking today. You're listening to Happy Vermont, a podcast about people and places in the Green Mountain State. I'm your host, Erica Housekeeper. Amy Richardson of Heartland, Vermont, is a UVM alumna, a mother of three, and an integral part of the Richardson Farm, a dairy farm that produces some of Vermont's highest quality milk. The farm, which dates back to 1907, is known for its herd of Jersey cows and its maple sugaring operation. In this episode, Amy offers a wonderful perspective that goes beyond farming. In talking about her life on the farm, she shares her experience on balancing work and family, losing a parent, the importance of searching for connection and community, and everyday things that bring her joy. Hi, Amy. So thanks for being here. First, tell me about the Jersey cows. I don't really know anything about them, but they're so beautiful and they're so sweet. That's their reputation oh for sure. So, I mean, jerseys are smaller than average, and they're good at grazing. They're very forward-acting animals, I guess, in their personality. They're very curious, and they like to go exploring. They survive well with the grazing system in terms of having to do all the walking. They are known for their strong legs and feet. So there's that side of their physical nature and then on the other side, with the milk production, they're known to be very efficient in what they eat in proportion to what they produce. So they don't produce as great a volume of milk as sort of the industry average. But we say and we know that it's the milk is valuable in a different way. It's important not to focus on we're better, we're better than everyone else, but jerseys do make milk that is higher in protein and butter fat than sort of the industry average. That focus on sort of cow sustainability, I guess, is really what we are all about these days. So a healthy, well-rounded animal that can um, still thrive in the system that we do still have, which is grazing the hills uh, with strong feet and legs, and then um, being reproductively efficient, you know, we really need her to to have a calf about once a year um, and make a significant amount of milk um, along with all that. So, so the high protein and fat, um, especially the protein, is really key in uh, in making cheese, which is you know, which is the main thing that our that our Cabot Co-op does. Tell us what a typical day at the farm is like for you. I mean, are you up before dawn? I've always been the evening milker as long as I've been part of this family, for better or worse, I guess. I've pushed my luck a little bit with trying to switch over to mornings, but it hasn't really ever been implemented in a formal way. So I've, I've been the evening person with different family members over the years. It made for an interesting time of having young kids because they would always be with us when we were working in the evening. And so then that included doing homework, eating some food, sometimes falling asleep, but it's worked out fine. You grew up in Northfield. You attended Sterling College and then went to UVM where you met your husband, Scott Richardson, who grew up on the family farm here in Heartland. And you both have degrees in forestry. Can you talk about the moment you decided to call this place home and work at the farm and raise a family here? Yeah, Scott was a couple years older than me, but had had a similar journey with school after high school. He went to Paul Smith's, and then he came back to the farm for a year, and then he went to UVM. So we actually ended up there at the same time, in the same major, both as transfer students. So it was neat that way. We actually were in several classes together as transfer students, meaning we had to, to make up a few classes that would have been part of the four-year program in earlier years for other students, but we needed to get some similar credits right from the beginning. And so, yeah, we 
the forestry school was quite small. The School of Natural Resources was small. So we, we met each other pretty quickly. And then by the time we graduated, we were a couple. So that was two years for him. And then I had to do another semester. So two and a half years for me. And then we came back here together. Yeah. Early on, did you know what you were getting into? I mean, was it harder or different than you ever imagined? Yeah, I don't think I looked out that far at the time. When we were engaged, I felt strongly that I wanted to work here, to be here. It was not a background that I had come from. You know, I grew up in central Vermont, small town, always like an outdoorsy person, but I loved horses. I didn't know much about cows. My hometown of Northfield, I don't know if there were any. I mean, I suppose there were a couple working farms when I was growing up, but it was not something that I was paying close attention to. And interestingly, Windsor County, where we are in Heartland, I think has a was the most agricultural county in Vermont at one time. I mean, that was quite a ways back. But just thinking that maybe Windsor County has a deeper agricultural history than Washington County, where I grew up. I don't know exactly. So I was very keen on learning about the dairy business and milking cows when I joined this family. And so I I think it was just like, well, yeah, of course, if you want to work on the farm, then, you know, there's plenty of work for you to do here type of thing. Scott and I both had the forestry degrees. So we, we tried to start up a small private consulting business when we were first married. And we did a little bit of that. Then we had our first son after about two years of marriage. And we were farming too. So it wasn't too many years before we felt like we were maybe juggling too much. And so we sort of let the forestry business go as a outside business. I mean, there are several hundred acres here on the farm. So there are there is opportunity to do forestry work if we want to. I, I guess I didn't have too much trouble sort of turning away from that focus of study in terms of forestry to agriculture. You know, it, it is related, of course. But I didn't feel badly for not using the degree I had earned or, or whatever exactly and really dived into the the agriculture wholeheartedly. And I, I think it was a good way to go, certainly for bringing up the kids, having them here with us. We, we made that choice to have them here with us. I think we felt like it would be tough to afford outside daycare anyway. And there was extended family around to some degree, although I really had the kids with me. Uh, when Scott was growing up here, he was cared for by his grandmother a lot because his mom worked outside of the farm, at least for some of the time. It was not the same situation for us, but it, it seemed it seemed pretty reasonable to have the kids along with most all the time, really, until they were in school. And what are some of the challenges and rewards of raising your boys here on the farm? One of the challenges was always sort of the schedule of hours that we kept in a day. <laughs> and nicely for them, I guess, mama was not the morning milker. So I did not have to figure out how to do that with babies and then young kids. But certainly it was challenging to be the evening milker when it came to like feeding kids, giving them a place to fall asleep. And then as they got into school age, setting up a place where they could do homework. And then basically just having a situation where someone was keeping a little bit of an eye on them. But I guess I can look back and say, well, I was in my 20s, so I really didn't worry about too many complicated details. I just kind of did what seemed right at the time. I mean, I had little babies in first a stroller and then a playpen, oftentimes in a backpack while I was working around doing different farm work. I mean, I wasn't driving tractors with kids in a backpack, but on the ground doing things with cows. I felt safe having a 
a kid with me or in a backpack say, I think they were very good. I did not ever have kids that were sick a lot or that couldn't sleep or that were incredibly picky eaters or had to be entertained. I mean, I just, I don't know, you know, knock on wood. I think it's, it was just the way our life went with this, what was around them and what they had to keep them entertained as far as what to look at, even from a real early age, there was always something going on, whether it was animals or, or equipment in front of them. You know, we spent a lot of time outside. So the, the challenges were, were definitely sort of equally balanced by the rewards. And although I think the rewards were maybe somewhat simplistic in a lot of ways, but it worked. I fretted a fair amount as they got into school and they weren't really able to do much after school stuff as far as teams and clubs and that kind of thing because we always worked in the evening. And, you know, not to say that every farm family doesn't work in the evening. They certainly do. But the truth was my kids were definitely the minority in their local school community. And not that other families didn't have reasons to be busy in the evening. There are always some. But really the minority in terms of just not having that freedom to be done with your professional life at 4 or 5 p.m. And then your kid has the chance to to do two or three or whatever different things after school all the time. We just didn't have that capacity. And so that I worried about that a fair amount when they were younger. But I think it turned out okay. And as they got older into teen years and did different local volunteering projects to earn community service hours for for high school graduation, I was often told, we were often told that they were such great workers that they had this like recognition and of work and work ethic that some other kids didn't have. And so it seemed like it all kind of came back around that what they had come from in an early age and and what they were part of just because they were there in the family and, and they were swept along in what we were doing really turned out okay. They were able to spend some time in this farmhouse when they were little boys with Scott's aunt, Anita Richardson, who lived here all the years that our kids were young. And while she couldn't really serve as a formal caregiver to them in the way that his grandmother might have for like a regular schedule of days and hours, she was most often here. So the boys could could pop in the house and have a snack with her and watch TV with her or something like that. And, and so that definitely served us well when they were little. And what is it like now that the boys are all grown up? I mean, what does that look like for you? Well, it's interesting because I was really in that sort of bubble, I guess, of being a parent for 20 years plus. I mean, the youngest is 19, so I guess I'm still going with him, but we're at a different place now together. And so I was really heavily focused on parenting and trying to juggle that with farming for a lot of years. And so now, even in just the last like handful of years, I feel like I've kind of stepped out of that or beyond that. And that's just the evolution of of time. We've all gotten to that point. The boys are more independent. Everybody drives themselves wherever they want to go. They have their own incomes, at least to some degree. So that's allowed me some more space to do some of my own pursuits, I guess, that are interesting to me and take my time you know, that I felt like I didn't necessarily have to give when they were younger. So that's been a great enjoyment and satisfaction to me. And then the farm, my farm work has, I guess, changed a little bit too in recent years. I feel like I'm a little bit back to doing some of the work that I 
did a long time ago before we had a family. A little bit more tractor work, not a lot, because we do have a hired farmhand who does a lot of everyday tractor work, but I've got a few jobs that are mine. And then I guess I've grown in over time, just in general, with some of the cow work that is my responsibility, whether it's taking care of calves in a more significant way than I did a long time ago. And then one of the newer pieces of of my work is breeding now. So I learned the artificial insemination process just over a year ago. Um, I took a short course. And so I've been able to to be another person who can do that now, which I think makes three of us, but actually two of us doing it most all the time. But it just adds another person so that if Scott knows he's going to be out on the tractor at such and such an hour, or if he knows he'll have a conflict because he has a school board meeting, he can ask me to fill in to do that work, whereas I didn't do that five or 10 or 20 years ago. Well, you're a really well-respected member of the community in Vermont, and you're so involved. I think it's often because I've gotten old enough that I just raise my hand and say something when I want to say it now. Well, and your name comes up a lot when talking about women dairy farmers. I mean, I don't know how many dairy farmers there are here in Vermont, but your name always comes up on the list. Well, I appreciate that. I hope it's the good list. So to prepare for our conversation today, I was doing some research and I saw this video produced by the Vermont Agency of Agriculture. And you were interviewed and you said that you don't think as much about being a woman farmer as much as you used to. Can you talk about that a little more? I, I find that really interesting. Well, I think it was I think it was about having young children and feeling worried that how could I juggle I, I sort of chose this life as a farmer, but also wanting to be the very best parent that I could be. And so figuring out that juggle, I, I think I used to worry about a fair amount more than I do now. One thing that, of course, my kids are older now, so I'm not juggling that same way. But uh, one thing that's been fun just lately in the last few months, I was telling you earlier that our eldest son, Ezra, who's 24, has had some job complications this year. And so he's actually back here working part-time. He'll be here in a couple hours today. But coming from southern New Hampshire, where he lives with his fiance and her family, and he is still started, but he had a, a job in his own professional path, and he lost that job. And so he turned to the farm and asked his dad and uncle about coming back here to work part-time, and they said yes. And so one of the things that he does while he's here is that he helps me milk in the evenings. And this is actually... For a number of years now, with any time that he had the opportunity to pitch in helping me with milking in the evening, we, we have always found it as a fun chat time, chat about all kinds of stuff, because you're right there next to each other, back and forth milking. So I've actually been asking him about some long ago stuff about growing up here, about friends, that he had from childhood about the way that he felt as far as being a farm kid when he was whatever, either on a sports team or when he went to college or when he met his fiance's parents, like how has he carried that? Because I, I have these, I guess, concerns or worries from the parent perspective because I, I didn't, maybe it's only because I didn't know any other women farmers when I was growing up, or I didn't have a close friend who was another woman farmer when I had my first child or when I had a two-year-old and a baby. And so I didn't, I didn't really have a network that I was looking to for example and, and support, I suppose. Although I, I felt confident in being a parent, I felt like I was doing okay. I mean, we definitely had some times when kids like fell and hit their face on a stone wall. No one ever got kicked by a cow, but you know, we're eating meals in the barn and falling asleep there. And I just, 
I worried about that kind of thing a little bit. And so he, he's done a great job at reassuring me that, that it was all pretty much okay. And he has some really good memories that are so fun to hear just from his angle, because I, I wouldn't have asked him that when he was 10 or 14, but now that he's 24, I can ask him. So that's been really fun. And then I guess, I guess I, I know enough people now who are women farmers and they might not be from Vermont. I mean, that's a little bit about where I love social media so much is that I've made connections with other farmers, men and women from around the world. And one of my favorite examples is a couple who are dairy farmers in New Zealand. And we were quote friends on Instagram for a time And then the woman contacted me and said that they were coming to the Northern Hemisphere and they had a specific plan. They were going to the UK to their daughter's wedding in June or something. And then they were coming to the US and they had a list of things that they wanted to do. And some of it was in New England. They were also going to go to the Midwest. But in New England, they had a few things to do and some of it was in Vermont And then she said, and one of the things in Vermont, we'd love to come to your farm and see your Jersey cows. And I mean, I was just speechless that that could happen. And it did. And it was great. And I showed them around and we walked up on the hills and and they loved our cows and commented about how friendly they were. And and we were friends. I mean, we we didn't know each other in person until that day, but but it was really amazing that they looked me up and wanted to come here. That was part of my my overall reasoning for for also wanting to travel a little bit myself and and meet some of these people that I've really come to call my friends. People that I met on Instagram and built a, a relationship with, however you do that <laughs> virtually, but I think that farmers are a a special group that way. And I suppose there are other small groups of like-minded people that would say the same thing, but I happen to be in the farmer group. So striking up conversations, you tend to talk about the same kinds of things, even if you're from different countries, whether it's the weather or your cows or your kids or whatever it is, the seasons and things like that. And I just, I I told people I, I, decided it must be because I'm old enough that I couldn't be satisfied just with the virtual friendship. Like I really have had this strong desire to meet people in person. And so did make that happen in 2018. I met, I guess it was about a dozen folks that I had had some kind of contact with over Instagram and just a life-changing experience, of course. And I'm, I'm working on going back for a similar a similar time but also realizing that this network that I've built through social media is like a resource i mean because farmers are doing similar things all over the place like those are people that i could talk to and ask questions of and get information from and then be able to share with other farmers that i that i'm on a board with or on a committee with right here and so that has been part of it in a in a really neat and satisfying way. After I traveled in 2018, I did come back here and gave, I guess it was six presentations to different groups, everything from our Farm Bureau chapter to the the local seniors group. And then I worked pretty closely with a local school class. I visited them. I think it was three times that school year and shared artifacts that I had brought back and then shared photos and shared stories. They happened to be studying like the history of civilization and agriculture. So it was such a cool way to compare what we see around us in Vermont and some of our agricultural history here to what I was able to see in in Northeast England. So then my my next idea is to do a bit of a field study that would be focused on on gaining information that would be useful to farmers here in terms of 
of dairy operations that have done some diversifying and had their successes and challenges been with that. So we'll see where that goes. And I never really thought, I mean, of course, I never thought that social media would become this thing in my life that that feels important and feels like I intentionally take time with it every day. And I should say too, that it's not just about my personal interests. I've, I've really tried to build a presence on behalf of our farm. Mm. So that's telling our farm story. Of course it is from through my eyes, mm. but telling our farm story and being a voice mm. in support of dairy agriculture on behalf of our whole co-op mm. too. Our co-op has, our Cabot co-op has really appreciated the farmer members being the ones to talk about what we do and saying the facts and and showing the realities of what we're doing instead of letting others do it for us. And your Instagram account is at Richardson Fam Farmer, which has over 18,000 followers. That's impressive. Don't ask me for the recipe to that because I don't really know how that has happened. Your Instagram feed features photos of you and the cows and life on the farm. And you've also taken risks like participating in the Naked Farmer hashtag, where you shed your clothes in support of raising awareness for mental health issues. Well, I guess that was a good example of me being older enough that I decided to just go for it. (laughs) The Naked Farmer campaign is a really smart combination of catchy photography and hashtag with a really important message. So it's based in Australia, and I don't know a ton about it, but it it is a campaign to, I think, raise money, yeah, because they sell some merchandise, and to bring awareness to the struggles of rural people with mental health and mental awareness. So I did not feel like I could really speak to that, but... What they do is they say, take your fun photo, and it's a tasteful photo, but the hashtag is Naked Farmer. So they say, take your photo, and you can try to submit it to them, and then you might be featured on their page on Instagram. Mine was not, but usually you'd put it up on your own page, and then they would repost it. So I did that, and it was really a fun experience because it was so different than what I had done up to that point. And and since then, I had to think really hard about it. And I was worried about it. And I asked some of my friends through social media, like if they would be disgusted if I did it. And they, they said, no way. Like we totally get the concept you know, of sort of the the eye-catching photo, and then you read the the message of the organization. And so that gave me the courage to do it, I guess. You know, some one of my friends said, I would be proud of you. Another one said, like, if you do it, then maybe I could do it. Mm-hmm. And so that was really neat. I didn't I didn't assume any of that, mm-hmm. but I got a lot of really nice interaction with the photo, which said, like, wow, you're so brave to do it. You know, I never considered it and now maybe I will. Or, you know, I know someone who struggled with their mental health and thank you for doing this kind of thing. So that's really what it was about. And I knew that my account was big enough that I had a little bit of like leverage with getting some attention. And that was the main thing of it. It caused a little bit of a stir in the family because (laughs) I didn't have a roundtable discussion about it with other family members, Mm -hmm. but I just kind of felt, and that I've told other people too, that that kind of became a turning point in my social media presence, I guess, with Instagram because it was very personal. Whereas up to that point, I, I felt very much like I always had to be thinking of every person here in this business? Was I representing every single person here? Was I doing everything that everyone would approve of? And then I did that. And there was definitely a little bit of pushback. But I suppose it it might have been good for our business in a way because I, you know, I have our web address right there on my profile. And 
And it also just gave me sort of a reason to reconsider how I was operating the page. And I did decide to own it a little bit more after that, mostly because I do about 99 point whatever, you know, percent of the work. I take the pictures Mm -hmm. and I write the captions. And of course they sound like me, but my intention remains to, to tell the story of our farm business, to hopefully help us sell more maple syrup, to hopefully encourage people to buy Cabot cheese because they think it came from our cows Mm -hmm. And it does to some degree, but at the same time, like I've learned over the time of using Instagram that it, it's great to show some people now and again. And so it's going to end up being mostly me because I'm the one operating the page and I think it's okay. I think it's gone well so far. Yeah. I see a lot of love in those photos. I really do. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I have to say that I do focus on the positive side of things and the the good side of things. I do show some of the downside and I do talk about some negative things. But at the same time, like, I mean, I do feel like that's how my life is. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of goodness here around our farm and we feel really strongly about taking good care of our cows and they're healthy and they show it and taking good care of our land. Mm -hmm. So that's what I show for the most part. And it never feels like you're trying too hard or like you're trying to sell something. Well, that's interesting you say that because I am somewhat conflicted about this idea of sponsored posts and I really haven't been approached Mm -hmm. more than just a couple times about that type of thing. And so I'm totally happy with where I'm at with it. I mean, I'm not getting an extra stipend from anyone to operate this page, but I do feel like it's important to have a presence on social media. I feel like that's where so many people are nowadays that it's it's a good idea to be there if you can figure out how. But from the very beginning, it was just kind of like, I don't know, like a day in the life of, and that's really how I've continued. I feel very strongly about keeping it genuine to who I am and and what I'm doing. So, I mean, with that, you get the music that I like and clothes that I wear and my funny comments about my hair or something, but, but it seems to work for the community that's following along. And so I I think that's okay. You know, I read every comment and I really intend to respond to every comment. Nowadays, sometimes I answer with emojis only because that's a little quicker, but it works, I think. I mean, I'm just like heartwarmed by something pretty much every day Mm -hmm. still by the effort that people will take to say something back or to send an emoji. It's really meaningful in some way to people. And, and you can't ignore that. I mean, it's real. That's what I mean. People are not making it up. And I often, I have like these captions sort of stewing in my mind all the time. Like maybe I'll use that one with because I'm thinking a few days down the road all the time. And, and one of them that I don't know if I've said yet, that's often in my head is like, like we do all our own stunts here, or this is, you can't make this stuff up that sort of thing. Like this is real and it, I don't know if it's going to get a thousand likes, but it's real. And it's what I'm choosing to, to share because I think people appreciate it. And speaking of ups and downs, 2020 has been a tough year, as we all know, on so many levels. And I know it's been a really hard year for you. You lost your father, Barry Minter of Northfield a few months ago. And I had the pleasure of meeting your dad back in 2016 when I was on assignment for the Vermont Farm to Plate Network to take photos of him teaching your sons how to hunt right here on the farm, on the property you have here. And your dad grew up hunting with his father. And I remember him telling me he believed in passing on the tradition. Can you talk about your dad's legacy and the values he instilled in you and your sons? Yeah, I think they were sighting in their rifles that day because I was looking at some of the photos that you took and I was trying to remember what they would have been doing. That was 
that became a tradition in itself that he would come down here. So my parents live about 50 miles away and my kids were, have been really incredibly lucky to have grown to the point of just until this last, well, no, I take that back. Scott's mom died in 2004. So that was the first grandparent that they lost. And actually Elliot would have only been three then. So he never really knew her that much. But to have several grandparents in their lives for many, many years, I think is really lucky. And to see all of the grandparents regularly is a huge part of it too. I remember growing up myself and seeing my grandparents somewhere in New Hampshire and somewhere in New York. And, you know, we saw them a couple times, a few times a year. Whereas my kids, one pair of grandparents lives across the road. And then with mine, monthly at least. So anyway, that became a tradition with dad to come down here and sight in the rifle, the hunting rifles, because we have the space at the farm. And it was a huge thing to him to finally have some younger family members, some grandkids who wanted to hunt. So it, it took some time and had to wait till somebody was at least 15. But two of our sons did want to learn about hunting with him. And so he was thrilled by that. And it's funny, actually, because I was thinking about this question beforehand and pretty sure remembering that I was never encouraged by dad to learn how to hunt when I was growing up. I just don't think it was offered to me as a traditional skill to pass down from father to child. My brother did hunt for a while. He didn't keep it up as a lifelong pastime like dad did. But there were other sort of traditional skills that I think dad did want me to learn and, and did want to pass to me. And the two that come to mind immediately are gardening. He was a very serious gardener. And especially after he retired, he really had a lot of time to dedicate to his garden and was very, very proud of it. Actually had a really good competition going with my father-in-law because their gardens were similar sized. And so they, they had a lot of good-natured competition over the years with that. And then firewood, dealing with firewood, I think, was the other one. And splitting by hand was really kind of the skill that I was thinking of that dad loved to do as a pastime. And for some strange reason, I... I like it too. I don't do a lot of it. And of course, we use a mechanical splitter pretty much as much as we can. But something about splitting wood by hand makes me think of him and feels like a traditional skill that he, that he passed to me. I think that he, uh, he was quite a, quite a character. We were pretty close for a lot of years. Even in my high school years, I did Dad was very athletic. He was the, the football coach at Norwich University for 20-plus for years. We were a sports-loving household when I was a kid. I decided to pursue some independent athletics when I was in high school. Uh, I decided to run track instead of play softball in the spring. And I don't remember, actually, if it was my idea or Dad's idea. <laughs> I think it was mine. But he was my coach. And so that meant that he was my trainer and he helped me figure out which events to focus on. And even though I'm sort of short and stout, I did the long jump and the hurdles for two years. And I did fairly well enough. We actually went to the New England level competition one year there for the long jump. But it was just a, a neat time for the two of us and brought us together, I think, maybe to influence our relationship for the rest of his life, driving around and, and really having those intense training sessions. And then like that intense emotional time of being an athlete and trying to best your personal record. And dad kept like a handwritten notebook of my results from meet to meet and year to year. And so I think it was I think it was a good time for him too. I mean, as a coach, he loved to win and I definitely didn't win everything, but I think that he 
he felt like the experience that we were both gaining from that time together was was enough. In the few months since he's died, my eyes have been opened quite a bit by way of the community associated with Norwich University that he was so deeply involved with for so long. And and what I mean is that a lot of people have come forward and expressed basically how much they loved him as a human being and what an impact he had on their lives. He was really a leader, a good leader, held people accountable, but helped people see a good way to do things, I guess. And a lot of people have said that that experience of mostly of being on the the sports team under his coaching, like influenced them forever after. And that's been really interesting information to hear from other people. You must miss him a lot. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I mean, I saw him three days before he died and that was great. I'm so thankful for that. I mean, he was just popping in for one of his regular times down here. He wanted to get some cow manure for his tomato plants and some pieces of our fence to to fix up the fence next to his garden. He was not in perfect health. He had some underlying issues, but he loved the farm. I'm really glad now that that he had that in his life for 25 years or more. You know, I grew up in a small town and my parents were outdoorsy. Like I say, we burned wood and we had a big garden. And we went camping as a family, but there was never any talk about any farmers, really. Hunting, yes, but not agriculture other than growing a garden. So it really became something that he dove into as a late in life interest of his of his own. I could see that. He loved sugaring, especially here, you know, more than the animal side of things. The sugaring was a really, really big deal to him. And then I think the grandkids too, of course, you know, that was a, that was a real special reason to come down to the farm as often as they could. Well, and I can see why he loved this place. I mean, you drive up this dirt road and there's this winding driveway and these wide open fields and the cows and a big barn. And it's so beautiful. I would love to hear what you love most about this place and where you spend your days. Well, I do love the landscape, definitely. And I don't really have, I don't really have much experience at all with anything different, of course, because I didn't grow up on another farm somewhere else. So, you know, the hilly landscape is something that's really dear to my heart and our cows that are so well matched to it, I think. I love the seasons. I mean, it, you know, it's kind of a blessing and a curse to be a farmer that way because we're so dependent on the weather and what it allows us to do or not do. But at the same time, that's something that a lot of people know is so special about Vermont too, is the the glorious seasons that we have. (laughs) That's funny. I've just been thinking about like, should I do a throwback Thursday to skiing? Because I had a really good time skiing with my son Elliot this past year. Usually locally, Suicide Six or Killington. But I bought my first completely new setup of skis and bindings, the first ones in 30 years last year. So I was pretty excited. What do you see for the future of the farm? One of the big things is that the land has been conserved. I think it was a collaboration between Upper Valley Land Trust and Vermont Land Trust. But right, so it'll always be in agriculture. That doesn't mean it'll always be, you know, a Richardson or a descendant. And I think that is a, a challenge that we will face more and more as we go. I'm 49 and my husband is a couple years older than me. His dad is in his late 70s. He's the other business partner, and then his youngest brother is 10 years younger, so he's just over 40. So we're doing great. We're like in the prime of our time, I think, but we don't necessarily know what will come next, and you can't just ignore that indefinitely. So it is something that I think people think about. We've made a number of steps to brace technology, technology, 
to upgrade our operations in different ways that we can. I think that perhaps we have to consider that it might not continue as a dairy. You know, it might serve someone else better as a place to raise heifers for a, another farmer or something like that, or maybe to raise beef. I don't know. And so it, you have to balance a little bit like, well, should I worry about the future? Like, I don't know. Right. I don't know. I have to think about it to some degree, but to then sort of be grounded in where we're at right now is mm -hmm. so important too. Mm -hmm. Trying to do our best work now and do good things for the soil and the water around our farm and keep our cows healthy so that they can continue to provide for us like they have been. You have to balance that now and future vision, I guess, all the time. Are your sons interested in farming or maybe you don't want to put that kind of pressure on them? Right. I feel mostly like my kids are the ones in their generation of the family who basically grew up right here in this yard because both Scott and I have been here. Other parents in our generation are either cousins and they're not working on the farm or his brother. My sister-in-law does not work on the farm. And so their kids have been here some, but not to the degree that ours have. And so with that, I, I guess I usually say, right, like, well, it's not fair to, to number one, assume that they do want to come back. And number two, it's only fair to give them the opportunity to, to go and to be somewhere else, to see something else, to try something else, you know, and then be able to, to have a, a time in their life when they decide that they do want to come back. And look, here we are seeing our oldest son right now feeling like he did want to come back, at least for the near future. I don't necessarily think it was because <laughs> he loves farming next after being a personal trainer, but I think he felt like it's good work. He knows how to do it. They can use his help. It's his family. It's worked out okay. I don't know. Our middle son is a mechanic, so he has a lot of skills that there's definitely demand for in agriculture. So with that, I, I tend to think like, eh, he may have some offers at some point in time that are a lot more appealing than coming back and running the family farm. And that's okay. And then our youngest actually went through the culinary program at our tech center for the last two years of high school. So he has this cool culinary interest. He has not gone off to culinary school yet, but it seems like there could be some potential there, like with a, a farm-based restaurant or cafe or something like that. I don't know. Certainly a lot of people have said that to him in the last year plus, like, oh, you could be the one to... <laughs> so we'll see. But yeah, you can't, it doesn't seem like a good idea to put too much pressure there. They really have to come to it on their own. Right. And I mean, I did in a totally different way by marrying into the family. And I think it, it's been long enough now that I can say like, well, no, I didn't really know what I was getting into back then because I raised my hand right away and said, yes, I want to learn how to milk the cows. I want to learn how to take care of the calves. And here I am. It's been about 27 years now of milking cows every day that I can, every day that I'm here to do it. And that's good. And I love it. I have a fair amount of arthritis in my hands now. So I didn't know some of the fringe complications, I guess, that come with a dairy farm life as far as your ability to, to leave the farm, to do things, I suppose I could have thought about it a little deeper. I'm one to sort of go for it and then maybe analyze later. It's all good. And I felt no pressure to get into it. I really chose. So I think that, you know, you've got to just imagine that that's the best way to come to it. What do you want your legacy to be? One thing that stands out to me is that I know I'm a woman in the family to be here basically full-time. I don't, I don't know what full-time is or not, however many hours per week, but basically full-time, whereas many of the other women in the family have not. So 
that'll just be something that's part of who I am. My husband's grandmother was here in this house all her life on the farm. I don't think she ever worked off. I could be wrong about that. But raising kids and then doing parts of of farm work. And so that's something that I've chosen, that I've wanted as part of how I live my life. But other than that, I think about, and certainly you, you gain different perspective over time. I want to be a farmer who is interested in working with other farmers to support good initiatives, things that are important for our industry in terms of addressing sustainability, whether it's from the animal side or the environment side and the community side. I have grown a bit more into a person that is willing to volunteer to do something on behalf of other farmers, even if I haven't before, or it's maybe outside my comfort zone a little bit. So I'm thinking of, I've had two experiences where I testified at the state house in Vermont, Montpelier, obviously. Whereas I would not have like thought up doing that on my own, but there were two times when I was asked by different groups. It was two different couple years apart, different groups, you know, to make a statement. And I did. I felt really good about it. I mean, I don't know if I'm a good writer or whatever, but, you know, I felt like I had something to say and I I could say something that was valuable on behalf of myself and other farmers. And what fills your days with happiness here on the farm? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's somewhat a balance between being isolated here on the farm, but then I think it's important to, and I think I'm the kind of person that is able to be happy in the moment mm-hmm. or to find something positive where you are right now and what you're doing right now. And so if you're a farmer and you're spending a lot of time outside or you're spending a lot of time with your livestock, you know, it tends to be that sort of thing that might bring you happiness. But I was just out in the pasture the other day and I found, I think is a hawk feather. We have a lot of red-tailed hawks around here. And so that Like, that was my cool thing for the day. I brought that home and put it in a little glass bottle next to my kitchen sink and just really made me happy for that moment. So, you know, the little unknown things about the farm are are a lot of what makes it a good, happy place, whether it's blackberries or watching my dog go in the brook when it's 95 degrees out and the cows coming to me in the pasture and, and licking me. Those are all good things. You can learn more about the Richardson Farm at www.richardsonfarmmaple.com or follow them on Instagram at at richardsonfamfarmer. Thanks for listening to Happy Vermont. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. You can also find information on my website at happyvermont.com. Thanks for listening. Take care and talk to you soon.